so she ended up having open heart surgery at four months old. And I just remember just handing her off. She was like in her little diaper and I had her in like a fluffy blanket and I had to just hand her off to the anesthesiologist. And what I learned later was that um, she was actually missing this, um, this muscle that works one of her valves. And the um, surgeon had two options, either just leave her be and let her die because she needs a muscle there to work that valve or to do the repair, divide the valve as if the muscle were there and just see what happens. And obviously he did the latter and miraculously her little heart started back up and they can't explain why that is. I've had, I asked the cardiologist and she was like, maybe it was too small for him to see it. <laughs> so it's pretty much not really a very good explanation. I like to believe that it's a miracle, of course. Nothing strengthened my relationship with God more than Regina. Welcome to Mother Good, where we strongly believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so happy that you are here. Our conversations are positive, practical, authentic, and judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. If you are looking for a meaningful motherhood community and ready to thrive, not just survive, you are in the right place. You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 13. In today's episode, I chat with Sylvia Bass, who is now a stay-at-home mom to six children and who has one child, Regina, who has Down syndrome. I personally learned a lot in this episode, and I think anyone who wants to learn more about living with children with disabilities will learn a lot as well. Sylvia talks about the realities of living with a child who has Down syndrome, which includes both the realities, the hardships, and the absolute beauty. She talks about how to be an advocate for your child to healthcare professionals, especially OBGYNs who tend to not be supportive of having a child who has that condition. I had no idea about all the different sorts of therapy that are available for children with Down syndrome and other special needs so that they're able to live to their full potential as adults. And Sylvia also talks about what are the right kinds of things to say to a parent who has a child with special needs, plus many more practical tips. As you heard in the intro to this episode, Sylvia also shares how her daughter had to have open heart surgery when she was just an infant as a complication of Down syndrome. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to give a little bit of background about children with special needs. The U.S. Census Bureau estimates that there's a little bit over 6% of all children in the United States, in other words, 2.8 million children who have some sort of disability and who will need some sort of special care. So this is an issue that if it doesn't affect you personally, most likely will affect a family member or a friend. And despite common misconceptions about Down syndrome, that most people with Down syndrome are able to attend school, work, participate in decisions that affect them and have meaningful relationships, vote and contribute to society in many wonderful ways. So it's really sad that in Iceland and some other countries that nearly 100% of babies who have Down syndrome are aborted. The life expectancy for people with Down syndrome has also increased dramatically in the recent decades from 25 in the 80s to 60 today. So that's pretty good. I'm so excited for you to listen in on today's episode with Sylvia because she has such a practical and positive perspective. She doesn't look at her life through rose-colored glasses, but at the same time, she also has a way of seeing her situation in the world through a beautiful lens that's so positive. And I'm constantly inspired by everything that she shares online and both offline in this episode. Finally, if you haven't already done so, I would like to ask a big favor for all of you listening, and that's to rate the Mother Good podcast. You can do that by just clicking the five-star 
stars in the Apple app, if that's how you listen to the podcast or whichever app that you're listening in, just click the five stars. And if you have a few extra seconds, just go ahead and write something. We would greatly appreciate it so, so much. Also, we would like to hear from all of our listeners on what are some topics that all of you would like us to cover in these podcast episodes. The reason I started this podcast is so that mothers could get access to content and conversations that isn't otherwise readily available. So I would greatly appreciate it if you just sent us a DM on Instagram or email us at mothergoodco at gmail.com and let us know what sorts of topics you would like us to see covered in the future. And also if you have any guest ideas, that would be great as well. So without further ado, here is my amazing conversation with Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you today. I really relate to a lot of things that you share on Instagram, given that you're an attorney as well. And I just really enjoy how honest and open you are too with uh, your children and life in general. So uh, could you start off by telling us about yourself? Um, sure. Um, my name is Sylvia Bass, and uh, I am Cuban-American. My mom um, is a refugee from Cuba, and my dad is American. And I'm from Georgia, and um, I met my husband in college at UGA, and we both became attorneys. We're from a family of, or I'm from a family of many <laughs> attorneys. Both my parents are attorneys, and all my brothers-in-law are attorneys, and my brother's an attorney. <laughs> So, but, um, I stopped practicing after, um, I suffered two, two miscarriages, three losses total. My second miscarriage was actually twins. And so when I got pregnant a third time, I decided that I just wanted to stay at home with that child. And so I stopped practicing law and I had several children in quick succession after that. So I'm up to six. Uh, children now, six C-sections, <laughs> unfortunately. And, um, but my husband still practices law. And um, my fifth child, Regina, has Down syndrome. I'd love to talk more about uh, how you came to have six kids and, you know, how you decided to become a full-time stay-at-home. I know that's always, you know, the the age-old debate, you know, is whether or not to be a working, uh, working mom or a stay-at-home mom and what the best fit is for families. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing, I guess, how, how you came to that conclusion of uh, being a stay-at-home mom, especially since, you know, you, you went to law school and, and come from a family of attorneys. It wasn't really like a thing that we like sat down and had a family meeting. We're like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and we're just kind of fly by the seat of our pants. And after my first child was born, I unexpectedly got pregnant with my second child when my first was um, four months old. So it was so quick that we we're like, okay, it doesn't make any sense for me to go back to work now. And I just started really loving it, really loving staying at home with my children. And I was really... <laughs> I really hated practicing law and I was a really terrible lawyer. <laughs> and so I was like, well, if I'm lousy at this and I really enjoy that and, you know, we can really make ends meet on one income, you know, if we just kind of consolidate and, you know, do some budgeting and stuff, then um, why not? So that's what we ended up doing, which ended up working out because we had, we ended up having a lot of children. I would have just been on perpetual maternity leave because <laughs> we had pretty much one a year 
or every 15 months um, until we got up to six. It's so interesting that I've read some statistics actually that say that, you know, the more educated the mother is that the children will be even more educated themselves and just have higher IQ in general, which is is so interesting. I never really thought about it in those terms because as a response to people who say, oh, you know, it's such a waste if you have this higher education and then you stay at home with your kids that it's it's not necessarily because you're really and in, by investing in a mom's education you're investing in your children's education so anyway I just thought that that was kind of interesting too yeah there's just so many facets to motherhood you have to wear so many different hats that I really feel like any kind of education or any kind of training or experience life experience is is not wasted you know like I have to argue and reason with my children all the time that, you know, (laughs) I wish that I had more medical knowledge, or I wish that I were more handy, or, you know, to help sew their clothes or whatever they need or build them toys or, you know, so we're not so wasteful. So I really just feel like whatever your background is, that's going to help you become a mother because you pretty much need to, you know, hit the ground running on everything. That's such a good point. Definitely. What have been your biggest struggles in your journey uh, with motherhood and your personal experience of motherhood so far? I know you mentioned having multiple C-sections back to back and then your daughter who has Down syndrome. So I would love to hear more about your journey. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty much been just letting go of any sort of delusion I had that I had complete control over everything. And I just had to kind of let go and see, you know, you think you have this rosy vision before getting married, like, okay, well, this is going to how, this is how it's going to be. And we're going to have only children when we want to have children and never children when we don't have, want to have children and never, you know, miscarriages or anything like that when we desperately want children. And then it's just kind of, um, it's kind of the school of hard knocks. You become painfully aware that, you know, it's, it's completely out of your control And you just have to kind of accept everything with gratitude, either as like a learning experience or just as a gift. And, um, and yeah, that's just kind of what I've had to adjust to. (laughs) I haven't had much of a choice. Like I said, my fifth child, um, we got at our 20 week scan, um, they, I, I never do the genetic testing because I just it was expensive and we didn't, we didn't see the point. So when we had the 20 week scan with Regina, they said, you know, well, we see a heart defect and some soft markers for down syndrome. And, um, that came as a, it, it was kind of a shock, but not a shock because I, I kind of had this feeling before the scan that something big was about to happen. And I kind of felt like maybe, down syndrome would be involved. I can't explain it. Just some sort of weird mother's intuition. But, um, yeah. Um, because I remember saying to my husband the night before, I was like, what if the baby has down syndrome? And he like, you know, did his usual, like, what you're worrying about all the things, you know, he's like, well, then <laughs> we'll just, you know, we'll just care for her as best we can. And I was like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, and and that was definitely like I said a shock but not a shock. And that was when I really just had to be like, all right, God, you take the reins. Like I'm I'm not this is not what I would have planned, but your plans are infinitely better than mine and I'm just going to hold on for the ride. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, that's incredible when you said that you had that feeling before the the scan that 
that just gave me chills because gosh, I, I can't imagine that, you know, just to have that feeling and then also just to have it validated like that. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. I can't explain it. I know it sounds kind of crazy and kooky, but it was just like this weird thing that, that maybe it was like a prompting of the Holy Spirit, just like, you know, preparing me for, for what was to come. Definitely. Yes. And then when you were talking about too, just with your journey of motherhood, how, you know, it's just taken unexpected turns and not looked exactly the way that you want it to look. It's so interesting because that seems to be a theme with a lot of the guests on our podcast that we've interviewed so far. It's, and then myself included yeah. too. I'm not sure why we just think that motherhood is going to go a certain way in our, in our minds, you know, like the storybook type version. And then when there's a twist or a turn, it really throws you for a loop. It does. It does. I mean, it shouldn't because like you said, it's everybody's story. You know, everybody thinks that they right. can control everything. And then, you know, then we just realize that we can't. But um, but yeah, I, it's the human condition, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, would you mind sharing more about your beautiful daughter, Regina? I just, I love the posts that you write about her. It's something that I've never read or experienced someone talking about a children or a child of theirs, you know, with special needs or, or Down syndrome. And I just think it's, it's so beautiful. Um, you know, your recent post that you're talking about hope and, you know, turning your, your cold stone heart into something good. And I, that is just so beautiful. I love everything that you write about your experience. So uh, would you mind talking about her and I guess how your life has evolved since having her and what, what she brings to your life? Yeah, yeah, not at all. Um, yeah, I decided, you know, when I was shortly after we got her diagnosis, um, that I was going to try and share her with the world just because, you know, I, I didn't know anything about Down syndrome um, before I had her. I was, I, it made me nervous and uncomfortable. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I was, just, you know, super, um, kind of prejudiced and ignorant. And so, um, I was like, well, I mean, how many more people are also in this position and she's helping me just, you know, overcome all of that. And she's just smashing all the prejudices that I had. But I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to present this like rosy vision that, that seemed, you know, untrue, you know, all the rainbows and unicorns, I mean, there certainly are those of Down syndrome, but I wanted to be realistic and portray like a realistic um, portrait of what it's like raising a child with Down syndrome um, because it's really beautiful, but it's also really hard. But I didn't want people to be scared of the hard parts because I really feel like the hard parts are what, I mean, if you have a child with special needs or not, the hard parts of motherhood is what really shapes us and forms us and can make us so much better people if if we only let it you know it's kind of the refining fire of motherhood um no matter what it is and so i kind of you know present the difficulties but then present it as you know this is this is how we deal with it and and it actually can you know turns into something beautiful if you if you really let it it's all about perspective Definitely. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about reading what you write about Regina, too, is that you are really realistic. And and, that, and that's something I've noticed just about moms in general. I feel like, you know, before I had my daughter, I just read kind of like rosy depictions of 
motherhood and having children that were super realistic. At least that's what it seems like, you know, being on the other side of it. So it's so refreshing just to have something realistic, you know, not not negative, but also just not not ignoring the negatives because they're there obviously. Um, and then staying positive at the same time. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't want to shy away from the hard stuff, but I just want to reinforce that there's it, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's not, there's nothing to fear with down syndrome. I mean, it's hard, but so many things in life are hard and some of the best things in life are hard. So. Right. Exactly. You've mentioned when people make comments about Regina or, you know, just how people in general should approach talking about, you know, someone who has a child with Down syndrome or any other sort of disability. Do you have any advice for how maybe friends or acquaintances or strangers should approach talking about it? Or um, I guess, yeah, just any advice in general, you know, what are things that we should avoid saying or things that we should say? Um, from your perspective? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't want people to feel like paralyzed by, you know, oh, what, <laughs> what's the wrong thing to say? I don't want to say the wrong thing. Like, I want people to feel comfortable. Um, but also, um, you know, armed with information. So um, in the Down syndrome community, we prefer that you use people first language, like um, my child has Down syndrome, a baby with Down syndrome. Um, instead of saying, you know, down syndrome baby or downs baby, or even I've heard mm-hmm. even like downy baby, which I know you're trying to be cute <laughs> and I appreciate it, but it's kind of <laughs> condescending and patronizing and, you know, they have dignity as human beings too. And and I know all this mm-hmm. stuff is like well-intentioned and, you know, I don't get mad or um, offended. It's just, you know, just trying to, <laughs> to spread awareness, <laughs> but yeah. And especially like, um, people use the word retarded a lot in speech and it's kind of become just Mm. slang, which I get, but it's also been used as like a derogatory term for people with down Mm. syndrome. And so it has become kind of offensive in that way. So we have been trying to get people to just realize that, you know, that it can be really hurtful Mm -hmm. to the down syndrome community. If you just, again, I realize that it's not, ill-intentioned most of the time but just you know just to, right so you're aware <laughs> right yeah and it seems like for some I mean I don't know if it's necessarily that those phrases in particular but some phrases that seem derogatory I just I think they're just so embedded in our culture too it's hard to know you know like wait why am I using this phrase and what is what does it mean when I'm using this phrase? So yeah, yeah. What are the implications of this? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Actually, like, like people on the street and friends and stuff have really, they really haven't committed any egregious offenses. P- the people in the medical community actually are the worst offenders. Not that they use the R word, but they're the worst offenders. I'm like, oh, she has downs or she's a downs baby or whatever. And I haven't really worked up the courage to correct them yet because I'm already a little... I'm already like trying to advocate for my daughter and I'm like, I, is this the hill I want to die on? Maybe not. But I do mm. think that's interesting that, um, that the language hasn't been really updated with them. Although, you know, I, I realize they got a lot on their minds. <laughs> interesting. So how is it in the medical community when you go to appointments? How have you noticed uh, your daughter being treated? And I guess, how have you had to respond to that and kind of be her advocate. I didn't even think about that as a possibility of having to do. 
So it depends on the specialty. In the OB specialty, um, there are exceptions, of course, but they tend to be extremely uh, ill-informed, outdated information, um, and negative and bleak about Down syndrome. Um, I've heard a lot of horror stories. I have a horror story myself um, where, you know, they said several ignorant things like, well, how old are you? Like, as if only older women can have children with Down syndrome. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, termination, of course, is always the first thing that they offer, which is, which is, you know, tragic that, you know, in the OB profession, Down syndrome is pretty much synonymous with termination. Wow. Um, And, you know, when they broke the news to me, I said, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm just worried. I'm just concerned about her heart defect and, you know, whether it's operable or not and whether she'll be able to survive it. Mm -hmm. And, um, the OB interrupted me and said, it is a big deal. And you have your other children to consider. And yeah, I was like, okay, (laughs) we are not on the same page at all. (laughs) We're going to need to address this. Like I had to fire one perinatologist and Mm. because she said I was courageous for not terminating. And, you know, my husband said, you know, I'm not courageous. I'm just her dad. Like, this is not a courageous act, you know? Um, Right. That's just so shocking to me, too, because especially in our culture and in our society that at least we like to say that we celebrate differences and, you know, people being unique and finding mm-hmm. themselves and being different. And then at the end of the day in the OB's office, it's like, oh, well, they're different. So, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? And I think a lot of it is fear, like fear of the unknown, fear of, of, you know, a lot of people said, oh, well, you don't want her to suffer. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, she suffered from her heart defect, but, um, plenty of typical kids have heart defects too. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know if you're new to life, but we all suffer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's kind of part and parcel of this whole life thing. Like nobody is here has never suffered, you know? So, right. I mean, that's just kind of, it's kind of a silly point to make. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I know. That's another irony, too, is that, you know, our society doesn't like to appreciate suffering. But then if someone's depressed and suffering and committing suicide, it's like, oh, you know, it's okay. It's okay to suffer. Yeah. And it's not really the typical solution to suffering either. Like if you see like a homeless person hungry on the streets, do you you say, oh, well, let me just go ahead and kill him. I'll end his suffering. (laughs) You know, like you want to help people who are suffering, not just eliminate them. Right, exactly. No, definitely. But I mean, she doesn't suffer, you know, other, like I said, other than the heart defects, she's the happiest little girl you've ever seen, you know, one of my classmates who I went to law school with one of her children, actually, you know, he was he didn't have Down syndrome. But when he was born, he had a heart defect. So it was like immediate operation. And that that was just a big shock to to them. Um, But just as you were saying that sometimes you just don't even know that until your child comes out and, um, and then you and you just discover that after that. Right, right. So with the OBs, I eventually just had to say, like, listen, do you actually know anyone personally with Down syndrome? And they said, uh, well, no. And I'm like, okay, well, then you don't know wow. what you're talking about. You know, you're painting this bleak picture of life with Down syndrome, but you, you don't actually even know anyone with Down syndrome. <laughs> right. That's incredible. So, yeah, I know. It's so yeah. sad. I've read, you know, I'm sure you've seen it too, that the news headlines that like in Iceland that there's Down syndrome is pretty much eradicated and right. in other countries. Yeah. And, that, and that's just so sad too, because when you're telling me that your daughter is like 
you know, the happiest child ever that just, you know, why miss out on that joy in life and in someone who can have that joy in life? Yeah, yeah, I know eradicated like cockroaches or something. It's it's gross. It's like, what has a person with Down syndrome ever done to you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, right. I'm pretty sure the worst crimes in human history were have never been committed by anyone with Down syndrome. So <laughs> I, I just don't know why we're singling this out for eradication. Like, oh yeah, these people who are so kind and loving definitely need to get rid of them. Yeah, I know that that doesn't make any sense. So what would you tell a parent who's faced with a diagnostic, you know, let's say a mom's pregnant or something and they're scared um, after receiving a diagnostic or, you know, some other sort of disability, I guess what, how would you encourage a mom? And I guess what hope can you offer in terms of what what the life of their child might look like? I would say reach out, reach out, find those online support groups. If it's Down syndrome or a heart defect, you can reach out to me. Um, or, you know, there are plenty of groups on Facebook, um, support groups for Down syndrome. For Down syndrome in particular, the Down syndrome diagnosis network is great, great for community. And you'll actually, you know, meet fellow moms who can give advice, who could tell you what life with a child with Down syndrome is really like, is actually like from a mom who's actually been there. And it's, that's just been my lifeline this whole time. It's just, um, it's just other moms of kids with Down syndrome. And, you know, that just gave me so much hope. And like, I look back and kind of even laugh at like all the fears that I had, like, you know, we're just over here, we're, living life just like any other family, you know, like the, mm-hmm. there wasn't like the life before Down syndrome and life after Down syndrome. Like it's just, it's just life. She's just one of the kids, you know, I've got a girl gang over here. I've got five girls and then one baby boy and she's just one of the girl gang and she's actually unapologetically everyone's favorite. Um, yeah, but don't <laughs> mess awesome. with her either. Like she's not a pushover. Like she will let you know, like, don't get in my space. Like this is mine. You know, she's scrappy. <laughs> she's not, <laughs> they thought she was a baby doll when she was like a baby. And they just like, she just let them resignedly carry them around, carry her around the house. But now that she's a toddler, she's like, Oh no, this is, this is my boundary. Don't cross it. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Wow. That's so perfect. Yeah. So uh, what was that resource that you mentioned again? And where can people find that? Is that Facebook group you said or Um, website? Yeah, so it's both. So if you just search for the DSDN, Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, you'll find all the Facebook groups. Um, Jen Jacob actually runs the Facebook groups, I think. So so the request will probably go to her. But you can also sign up. On um, online, they have a website, uh, the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network, and you can put in all your information there, and they'll send you emails and and get you connected with whatever you know location that they can do it. They do it by location. They do it by um, subsequent diagnoses, diagnoses. So, like if you have um, a child with a heart defect, then they can get you connected with the moms who also have child, children with heart defects or whatever else it may be. Awesome. So it's been great. Yeah, it's a godsend. Yeah, I never heard of that resource before. I have to pass that on to to some people that I know. That's great. Yeah, definitely. I know that we're approaching the end, but I was hoping if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, maybe the story of when Regina had to have her heart surgery. I know that you shared that on your mother good feature. And I 
just blown away by it. And it, I just thought it was such an inspiring story and the anal- analogy that you gave for motherhood in general. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Not at all. Um, I hope I use the same one. I don't remember. Was it the storms maybe? <laughs> Um, I, I think it was, I, you were just talking about how, you know, you just had to give her up basically. And that's yes. kind of how yes. mom life is and all that. Right. Yeah. So, um, so she was in the NICU for 24 days on oxygen support and feeding support. Um, since she was breathing so fast, she had, um, two holes in her heart an ASD and a VSD and then a common valve in between them instead of um, two valves. So it's called an AVSD or a complete AV canal defect, which is repairable. But what you got to do is you got to get them as like, you got to stuff them like a Thanksgiving turkey. Cause like the bigger they are, the better the outcome for open heart surgery. So um, yeah, but her defect was flooding her lungs with fluid. So she could um, she had to work really hard to breathe, which burns a lot of calories, which kind of goes against the whole gaining weight thing. And she was breathing so fast that she couldn't really feed. So it's like trying to like drink water while like running a marathon. It was just too much for her. So she ended up having what's called an, an NG tube. So I had to like learn how to thread this feeding tube through her nose down into her stomach and then check to make sure that it was in her stomach and not in her lungs. Cause if it were in her lungs, she would drown if I fed her lungs. Yeah. And so I was just doing this stuff at home after they just charged me from the NICU. Oh my goodness. I would be terrified. Yeah. It was pretty terrifying. Uh, Luckily that never happened. And um, she was able to get um, big enough. They want her over 12 pounds. I think she was able to get big enough for open heart surgery Um, and her heart failure just got too bad um, and her oxygen was just too low. So she ended up having open heart surgery at four months old. Wow. And I just remember just handing her off. She was like in her little diaper and I had her in like a fluffy blanket and I had to just hand her off to the anesthesiologist to go back behind those steel double doors for open heart surgery where they'd like cut her chest open, like pry it open, um, the chest cavity and her ribs and everything and break her breastplate and then put her on bypass, stop her heart, put her on bypass fix her tiny, tiny little heart that's like the size of a strawberry and then try and get her off bypass. And actually, and we were waiting in this uh, waiting room, just praying and praying and praying. And like in the beginning of the day, there were like a ton of other families with us because all the surgeries are scheduled for the morning. And the surgery, her surgery was like six or seven hours long. So by the end of the day, it was just us and this other family still praying and praying. And there, there's like this special little cell phone that they'd call and I'd go over and the nurse would tell me what was going on. Like, okay, we put her on bypass. Okay. She's, you know, he's operating now. Okay. She's off bypass. And what I learned later was that, um, she was actually missing this, um, this muscle that works one of her valves. And the um, surgeon had two options, either just leave her be and let her die because she needs a muscle there to work that valve or to do the repair, divide the valve as if the muscle were there and just see what happens. And obviously he did the latter and miraculously her little heart started back up um, and they can't explain why that is. Um, I've had, I asked the cardiologist and she was like, maybe it was 
too small for him to see it. <laughs> so wow. it's pretty much not really a very good explanation. I like to believe that it's a miracle, of course, but um, of course, yeah, take it as you will. But um, ever since then, the repair has been great. It's held up really well, and I was able to wean her off the feeding tube. And, um, you know, now she walks, she talks, um, you know, she does all the toddler things. She's doing really, really well. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine going through that just as you were, you were telling me that story. I was just, you know, imagining that happening to my daughter, you know, and I just, yeah, I can't even imagine going through all of that. It just seems so heartbreaking and, but then so wonderful too, at the same time, because of, of the miracle that happened. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, nothing strengthened my relationship with God more than Regina. Just, yeah, nothing in the world could have, could have done that. And then you said that you still pray for her surgeon, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I just can't, I can't get over, I mean, like he struts around that hospital like he owns the place. And I'm like, (laughs) you know what, if anybody has deserved that, it's you. Because I cannot believe (laughs) that you took my child like she was just dying sickly awful and you took that tiny little heart and you fixed it and she's now like running around vibrant kid like you deserve it you deserve like I will make you a crown and you can walk around like that (laughs) but yeah I definitely I pray for him just so you know just for all the other little babies that he's operating on because he just changed our lives like before when she was in heart failure it was just it was so desperate at times that I, I remember thinking sometimes like she was just so sick, like, all right, Lord, if, if you're just going to take her, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I, you can take her, you know, I'll be okay. Right. Um, even though I know, I knew I wouldn't be, but, <laughs> right, right. but, and, and now it's just, it's, you know, it, it really is. It's miraculous what they do with these tiny hearts. And, and it's just looking at her before and looking at her after. I just am in awe. And I'm like, you just changed our lives so much. Like, what can I do? I can just pray for you. That's all I can do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I'm in awe too. And I, yeah, I mean, I wasn't even there. I, I, I had no idea how involved that type of surgery, heart surgery is and how small their hearts are at that size. It's that's amazing. What a job. What a job. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, so um, I guess switching gears a little bit, um, what does a day in your life look like now? And I guess what are you and your husband's hopes for the future for for all your children and for Regina and, and just in general? Um, so my days are pretty crazy now because Regina's at this point where um, – she has physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Um, because uh, people with Down syndrome have low muscle tone, which is kind of the state that your muscles in while at rest. So we have, you know, typical tone, like our muscles are relaxed and we're at rest, but ready to go. Um, hers are like way, way relaxed. And so they're not really ready to go. Um, when they need to be. So that's why, um, you know, people with Down syndrome, sometimes it sounds like they speak a little differently um, and they walk a little differently because they've had to overcome the low muscle tone with higher muscle strength um, to try and um, compensate for that. So, um, but if you have early intervention, um, it can really help them overcome that because, you know, when you're young, just like speaking a language or whatever. So the younger you are, when you learn how to speak a language, the less of an accent you're going to have. Oh, okay. um, so the same thing with like 
physical therapy for people with Down syndrome. Like the more early physical therapy they have and speech therapy they have, you know, this is the goal. It obviously doesn't always work out that way, but um, the better the outcomes later on in life. Um, So uh, we're kind of like during that kind of crazy time, she's about to turn three where we're doing a ton. She's walking. So physical therapy is kind of tapering off. That was the goal for physical therapy. Now we're focusing more on um, occupational therapy, which is fine motor skills. So like writing or like dressing yourself and things like that. And, um, and of course speech so that, um, she can speak because I want her to reach her full potential, but at the same time, I definitely want to respect her limitations and not just push, push, push her so that I don't want to, I don't want my goal to be, oh, well, I just want her to look and act like other people. I just want her to be able to, you know, just have a better quality of life. You know, if she can dress herself without my help, that would that would be better for her, you know, just stuff like that. If she can communicate without me having to translate, Mm -hmm. you know, that would be better for her. In the meantime, she does a lot of sign language, which is also, which is kind of awesome because my children, thanks to the baby signing time videos actually are way better at sign language than I am. Regina is better at sign language than I am. Sometimes I have to like, look up what she's saying, like get my little (laughs) sign language app and be like, what is she signing? Oh, okay. Banana. Okay. I got (laughs) That's so cute. Yeah, that's I'm that's yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that that all those were options to have to try to, you know, maximize maximize their potential, you know, just as you're saying not right. not overwhelm them or try to make them do everything, but just, you know, like like anyone in life, I guess, that you just want yeah, you want your children to be able to live to their full potential. So, right, right. And, you know, if she has a limitation and we need to help her with whatever it is for the rest of her life, we are happy to do that. But like I said, at the same time, you know, I, I want her to be able to feel like she's like she's more independent if that's important to her. Definitely. Yes. Wow. I'm just even more inspired after talking with you <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, I really appreciate you sharing everything. And the last question that we always ask um, all of the moms who are on our show is it ties into our motto of, you know, being a good mom instead of trying to be a perfect mom. So what's an example of a time when you realize it's okay to not be a perfect mom and it's okay to be a good one instead? Wow. Well, <laughs> I probably am a little different from most moms in that I'm not a perfectionist. Thank God, because I, I, I've just been on survival mode for so long. I guess my entire motherhood journey that it's never really, it's never been a struggle for me. I've always been so far from perfect that I've never been like, Oh, if only I could be perfect. But I mean, my mom, my mom likes to say, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, you know, Mm -hmm. don't, don't look back and, 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 you know, just get so frustrated that you weren't perfect. Um, just, you know, look at your past mistakes, try to do better, try and learn from them. Um, I always try to, you know, if I do something wrong, I try to make it right. If it's against the children, then I apologize. And I, you know, try to make it right with them too. And just, I don't know. I'm just trying to every day be a better mom than I was the day before. And just a lot of humility. And the kids are great for that. They, they humiliate me on a daily basis. So <laughs> I just feel like when you come at it with a lot of humility, it, it, it really helps shift your perspective and your focus 
um, to, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not a perfect mom, but I'm just going to try, try every day to just do my best. And just when I fall, I'm just going to get back up and, you know, just always get back up when you fall. Cause you're going to fall. The important thing is just to get back up and try to do better. That's beautiful. Yes. I love that outlook so much. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks Sylvia so much for taking the time to come on our show and share your life and your family and, and all the helpful tips and everything. So we really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me.